Ladies and gentlemen, it is finally here. A matchup that many people call the greatest rivalry in all of sport. A hatred that began with a war in 1835 over the city of Toledo. Hello everyone and welcome to another special First and Ten preview episode. My name is Reed and today we're going to be talking about the game. Featuring the number one Ohio State Buckeyes and the number 13 Michigan Wolverines. Ohio State enters this game on the road in Ann Arbor as a 9.5 point favorite. And the ESPN Football Power Index has Ohio State with a 73.9% chance to win the game. The Buckeyes have already clinched their spot in the Big Ten Championship in Indianapolis next week, while Michigan is almost guaranteed to finish the season in third place in the Big Ten East for the third time since Jim Harbaugh took over as Michigan's head coach. As an Ohio State fan, I'm not concerned about this game at all because my official pick is 2,926-3. to a big Ohio State win, and I gave Ohio State 2,926 points because on the day of this game, November 30th, 2019, that will be the amount of days it's been since Michigan had their last win against Ohio State. And I gave three to Michigan because that's the amount of wins they have over Ohio State since Y2K. Part of the reason I find myself so confident in Ohio State is the fact that they've won so many of these matchups recently. Michigan only has one win in my entire lifetime over the Ohio State Buckeyes. And even last year, Michigan had the number one defense in the nation, and at the time, the number four uh, team as a whole. And I wasn't rattled, because I know that despite the fact that Ohio State was ranked number 10, Ohio State always plays with a different fire and energy against the Michigan Wolverines. However, there comes a time um, when I need to remove my Ohio State fan hat and put on my objective Big Ten podcast host hat. Uh, no matter who you like, you cannot ignore the facts, which are that Michigan is treading in the right direction, and an upset is not impossible. Um, Michigan started the season badly with a near loss at home uh, against Army that went into overtime and an embarrassing thrashing in Camp Randall Stadium by the Wisconsin Badgers. <clears throat> but they've looked very strong in, the la in their last five matchups, especially their game against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, where the defense looked like the same defense they had last year. Uh, in this game, they limited quarterback Ian Book to only 73 yards and eight completions on 25 attempts. In this game, Notre Dame's leading rusher was Jameer Smith, who picked up only 15 yards all game, which really says something about how <coughs> this Michigan run defense has improved. Um, Shea Patterson also started off the season rough, but he's looked impressive, especially in their recent matchup against rival Michigan State. Michigan State's an opponent that Ohio State struggled against, um, in a game where they put up 34 points. Michigan, who is not known for their offense, put up 44 points against the Spartans. Um, and Patterson, like I said, looked very good in this game. He threw for 384 yards and had four touchdowns against a highly ranked Michigan State defense, which, although um, it doesn't have as much respect now as it did pre earlier in the season, it's still um, a it's still an impressive feat to put up 384 yards and four touchdowns against Sparty. However, one downfall for Michigan is their run game. Um, on Instagram, I saw Big Ten CFB, a really cool account that, coast, that posts a lot of Big Ten content. You guys should check it out. They posted some uh, interesting numbers about Michigan versus top 50 defenses. <clears throat> the top 50 defenses they've placed, faced this season are Penn State, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Iowa, and Indiana. Against these defenses um, combined, they've, have, they've had an average of 94 rush yards and 2.9 yards per carry which is not exactly the kind of numbers you want to have going into a game against the number one total defense in the FBS and the number five run defense in the nation. This means that Michigan's uh, likely to rely heavily on their passing game. And although 
Um, Michigan has some good weapons the past two, specifically Nico Collins, who had a really good game against Ohio State last year. Um, if I'm not wrong, he had two touchdowns, and uh, he had some pretty uh, incredible catches against names like Jordan Fuller and Kendall Sheffield. Um, so although Michigan has that going in their favor, and Shea Patterson has been able <clears throat> uh, to make some, some uh, put up some good numbers and have some, have some good games this season, um, I really just don't believe in Shea Patterson and the Michigan Wolverines offense. Um, I don't believe in their ability to pass the ball for 60 minutes against Ohio State, who, um, let's not forget, has a really impressive secondary. Uh, I don't really believe in them to be able to pass the ball all game and have a lot of success um, against Ohio State. So that is not great for Michigan. And on top of that, a lot of the intangibles favor the Ohio State Buckeyes. Um, you know, obviously one of the uh, first intangibles that comes into mind when you think of that word is who who has the home field advantage. In this game, Michigan does. Um, however, Ohio State really has not had a lot of trouble in the big house in the past few years. Um, even in the close games, like in 2013, they won by only one point, but they were still able to fight, play a gritty game, and pull away. And 2015, Jim Harbaugh's first year, they won a game 42-13. to So... It's just games like this that really show that the Michigan crowd isn't too much for Ohio State. Um, in addition to that, Ohio State just came off a really ugly, sloppy performance versus Penn State. And although on paper it looks pretty good, they had an 11-point win against the top-10 team. Uh, they fumbled it, they dropped passes, <clears throat> and their defense looked pretty weak in that third quarter. So this will be a really hungry Ohio State team. And no matter how good or bad Ohio State is as a football team, they always play differently against Michigan. We saw it last year when um, just about everybody was picking Michigan, even though it was at Ohio State's home turf. <clears throat> and Ohio State came out and fired on all cylinders. Basically, everything that could have gone right did go right for Ohio State, and they won that game 62-39. to um, And on top of that, Ohio State lives in Coach Harbaugh's head. Um, he's 0-4 against them, and having someone like that in your head is really not good at, for your decision-making. So <clears throat> I wouldn't you know, rely on a lot of good coaching from Harbaugh this game. And you can sort of flip that and say, well, you know, Michigan, they've lost to Ohio State for so many years, they're probably fed up by it. But, I mean, it's been eight years since Michigan has defeated Ohio State. <clears throat> and I really this streak really hasn't seemed to affect Michigan's play in the last several years. So um, I don't really see any reason why that would change. Um, and hopefully you guys listened to um, my man Patrick Feltz's episode. We talked about all the all the other other rivalry games, and he left this one for me to cover. And uh, but he 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 gave me a couple of his takes. He says um, that Michigan should be able to compete with Ohio State more than any team has this season because everything, like I said earlier, Michigan is trending in the right direction. Their defense looks good. Their offense looks better than people expected. But he says the key word is should. Ohio State is just more talented and has more on the line. Like playoff hopes. Um, and a couple Heisman contenders. About those Heisman contenders, he says that Ohio State has three of them. And, um, you know, those three are Justin Fields, Chase Young, and J.K. Dobbins. He thinks that if just one or two of them goes off, it's still going to be hard to defend. So if you get three of those guys, uh, it's really likely for them to completely go off on you. He says that Ohio State will win this one 34-21 in the big house. Um I got a pretty similar prediction. Um, I know I gave my uh, <clears throat> my sort of ridiculous prediction earlier in this show. 
But realistically, I think Ohio State should win this one by about 31 to 17. But I am glad that I'm not a betting man because I would not be surprised to see a result like the one from 2015, like I recently mentioned, where Ohio State goes into the big house and gets a pretty big win. I also wouldn't be surprised by a close game, maybe decided by a field goal or a touchdown. Um, because this is a game that really can go two ways. You know, Ohio State, um, it's, it's, a lot of people say it's the most complete team in the nation. I agree with that statement. However, like we said earlier, Michigan, uh, they're really firing all, on all cylinders right now. It's a rivalry game. It's in Michigan. So it's really hard to predict. And with all things being considered, I, I would say Ohio State wins by about 31-17. But it's really hard to predict. Um, because, like, you know, Michigan is a very talented team. Um, but just like Patrick said, the Heisman contenders, Ohio State has three of them, and one of them is Justin Fields, who has some of the most elite receivers in the nation, like Chris Olave, KJ Hill, and Benjamin Victor, and Garrett Wilson, a really a very impressive impressive freshman from Texas. If you're passing to receivers that good, um, you're bound to have at least a few really good completions. And last week, he and the rest of the offense had a lot of trouble. He fumbled the ball. J.K. Dobbins also fumbled the ball. But even in a game where it was hard for Ohio State to get the ball moving, he put together a few good runs. He had one of the key plays that game for me was um, Justin Fields' fourth and five run in the second quarter. Uh, he got about a 15-yard gain, huge first down. It's just stuff like that that just um, it really proves how good of a quarterback he is. And he's also just a really strong player. Um, whenever D linemen come up, come try to tackle him, he always shakes up the tackles well. Um, and he knows what he's doing. He's got a good uh, football IQ. So when you combine all that with having good receivers, uh, you got to find um, a couple in the end zone uh, here and there. Like last week, like I said, they had they were struggling a lot, but he still found Chris Olave and KJ Hill in the end zone. So I think if he's able to put together a few good drives like that, which I definitely think he will, Ohio State shouldn't have a lot of trouble. So that will do it for the game 2019. But I'm not done with this episode yet because I want to talk about Something that really bugs me in this rivalry, and that is the all-time wins argument for Michigan fans. If you don't follow us on Instagram, first of all, what are you doing? Give us a follow. It's the first and ten, all words spelled out, T-H-E-F-I-R-S-T-A-N-D-T-E-N. Um, go, go and look us up on Instagram. Look at our posts. Look at our stories. Um, I'm sure you'll love what you see. Um... But on my Instagram story, or on our Instagram story on Wednesday, um, we said, we mentioned the fact that Michigan is 7-0 against Ohio State before the invention of the forward pass. What that means is if Ohio State wins this season, um, Michigan and Ohio State will be tied for all-time wins in the forward pass era. It'll be 51-51. And I think if you're still using the all-time wins argument, but you're talking about games where the forward pass, one of the most um, key uh, aspects of modern football, wasn't even around. I mean, is it even the same sport? And I don't know what a lot of you guys consider to be modern football, <clears throat> but I think a few um, marks, markers of time that would uh, really indicate modern football being around are interesting to take, in, take into consideration when you try to determine who has done the best overall in this series. Since the end of World War II, Ohio State has le has led the series forty to thirty three, um, and since 
the USA's first landing on the moon in 1969, which I consider to be around the time where modern football, or where football really is modern and it's the same game as it is today. Since then, Ohio State is 27 of 21. In the BCS era, Ohio State has absolutely thrashed the Michigan Wolverines. Um, they're 17 and 4 since the BCS um, came around. So it's it's really, if you take away Michigan's glory days, which very few people um, from like who are alive now were alive for, um, you know, it, 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 the, the all-time stats really favor Ohio State. Not a lot of people were around for when Michigan was tearing people up in 1904. Um, so I think when people were are bragging about games where not only were they not alive, their parents are not alive, and in most cases their grandparents were not alive, um, I really think that's just an invalid argument. So please, Michigan fans, um, I know we don't agree on a lot of stuff, um, and on a lot of days, most Saturdays, especially Saturdays like the one that's going to come, I hate you with a burning passion, but let's let's be civil here, and let's stop using this argument because it's just it, it's not right. It's not modern football. It's not you weren't there for it. None of your ancestors, you know, a lot of your ancestors who are alive today were not around for it. So why why can you brag about it? It it's not even the same game. Back then, I'm just taking field goals and running the ball. That's not near what what the game is today, and people were not nearly as athletic back then as they are. In today's game, so it, it just is not a very valid point to make, and but it's one you hear all the time. So Michigan fans, please stop using this. And with that, I'm done talking about Ohio State, Michigan. However, um, if you if you stick around, you'll hear me talking about the playoff. Um, as, as I talked last week about this season's playoff and <clears throat> Alabama, Utah, Oregon, etc., their chances to get in. Um, it's really unfortunate to me that Alabama has a good chance of making it this season, but I didn't want to talk about this year's four-team playoff uh, today. I want to talk about the idea of expanding the college football playoff. A lot of times when people talk about expanding the playoff, they say, we should go to eight teams. We should go to 16 teams. Or like Mike Leach says, we should go to 64 teams. Make it like the NCAA tournament. I don't think any, any of these are the right solution. Um, and the most common one that's brought up is the 18, 18 playoff. And the main argument that a lot of um, college football people who don't want to expand say, the one that they use, is it's going to take away the value of the regular season. Late games, like the ones in November, uh, conference championships, they all matter because only four teams get in. And if you get eight teams in, then unless you have a bad, you know, a really bad season, you know, any, any, group, any Power 5 two-loss team can just waltz right in the playoff. Um, one solution that a lot of people don't think about is the six-team playoff. This six-team playoff um, basically has everything you would possibly want in a college football playoff. It keeps the importance of the regular season around. You can keep having conference championship games. You get uh, playoff football the day before and the day after Christmas. And, um, and you know, everything you like about college football is still around. Um, you just get even more. You get the chance of a team like UCF to go and prove themselves in the playoff. Other people said they shouldn't get in the, in the four-team playoff in the past two seasons. They were unproven. They hadn't played anybody. Well, if it's a six-team playoff, why not let them in? Why not see how they do? Because if, if they lose, 
then, you know, we're right back to square one. They didn't make it in the semifinals. But if they make it, you know, they got the chance to shock the world and be sort of like uh, some Cinderella teams in the NCAA basketball tournament. <clears throat> so the way this 16 playoff will be executed, um, there's, there's five Power Five conferences. The Big Ten, the Big 12, the SEC, the ACC, and the Pac-12. If you are a conference champion and you have zero or one losses, you are automatically in the playoff. So um, this satisfies all the conferences because um, unless you have a two-loss champion, you are guaranteed to have a team in the playoff from your conference. So that satisfies people. That leaves, um, that leaves a lot of um, what is called at-large spots still available. Um, a lot of these can be used for if there's a group of five team who's undefeated, who feels like they've proven themselves and the committee feels the same way. They can get in. Um, this leaves the opportunity for a team who maybe went undefeated and lost a conference championship game in an upset. They can still get in. Um, maybe it's maybe it's a situation like 2016 where Ohio State, um, they lost to Penn State, so they were out of their uh, conference championship. But Penn State won the Big Ten. Both of these teams can get in. They've both proven themselves and had a great season. And the only thing dividing these teams was a three-point uh, loss. Um, so both of those teams can get in. Um, it really just allows for everyone to be satisfied um, and uh, everyone who is an elite team and deserves to make it in the playoff does make it in the playoff. Um, and a lot of people would argue expanding the playoff takes away the um, takes away the importance of regular season games, specifically once in November, like rivalry week games um, or just games like the Ohio State-Penn State game that took place last week. Um, or like an Alabama-LSU type game, but it doesn't. Because with the six-team playoff, two teams have to get buys. That would be the number one seed and the number two seed. So if you don't want to have to play in a quarterfinal game or a play-in game, whatever you want to call it, you better win every game and you better win your conference. Or you better only slip up once and hope uh, nobody else does. So everyone's still competing for those top two spots, sort of like the BCS days. <clears throat> so that maintains... Um, the significance of the regular season, but it also allows other teams to get in. And like I said earlier about Christmas Day, um, in this in this um, system, you can see college football playoff games taking place the day before and the day after Christmas, Christmas Eve and Boxing Day, which, um, you know, one of my favorite bowl games is the Hawaii Bowl. It always takes place, or almost always takes place on Christmas Eve. And I love seeing football during Christmas time. Um, so if you find games like the Hawaii Bowl between Mountain West and Conference USA um, opponents like that to be interesting, just imagine what it would be like for college football. Or not, not college football, the college football playoff. Um, you get to see good games between the number three and number six teams and the number four and five teams. Um, <clears throat> so when, when you have games like this, it really satisfies everyone. Uh, it would also satisfy ESPN and the NCAA because they would make so much money off of televising these games, advertising these games, um, and selling tickets and all that. So it's more money for the company, for ESPN and the NCAA who would put the game on. Um, it makes more people happy, like the fans, because uh, objective college football fans who don't have a team in the playoff, it's still an exciting matchup between two highly ranked teams. And fans of the teams who are participating in these games, they still get to watch their team go on the field 
um, and have a ta- have a chance to fight for a national championship. So this 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 situation it satisfies everyone, um, and the only question about it is where would these quarterfinal games take place? Would it be neutral sites um, like the Sugar Bowl, the Rose Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, etc., or would it be home sites? Um, that's really that would really just be up to the um, uh, up to the committee or up to the NCAA or up to the ESP, or up to ESPN. It would really just be whichever one makes them more money, which it doesn't really matter to college football fans because either way, you're getting more football between more good teams, you're getting more great matchups, and you're getting them at a great time of year. Um, so this is this is a situation that's not really talked about by a lot of college football analysts or theorists or whatever. But it's it's really a slept-on theory. Um, if you think there's any problem with this, DM us the first and ten. Let us know. Let us know your playoff ideas, whether it should stay the same, whether we should go back to the <clears throat> BCS, whether we should go to eight teams, 16 teams, um, 64 teams, 100 teams, whatever. Let us know your thoughts. And um, one last note, my Minnesota Golden Gophers, um, my beloved, uh, who I thought would be nine wins, now have now have the chance to get 11 wins. My Gophers are taking on their arch rival, the Wisconsin Badgers, tomorrow. And I just wanted to say, Minnesota, I believe in you all season. And not only did you do what I thought you'd do, you went above and beyond my expectations. You beat Penn State, a team who, uh, in the week that it happened, I predicted you to beat Penn State, but I didn't see that coming in the in the preseason. I also didn't see you guys escaping <clears throat> escaping a tough road game, or at least what I thought would be a tough road game at Fresno State. But you did it. Whether you win ugly against Georgia Southern at home or you win a really good game against Penn State, um, I've been with you there. I've been with you every step of the way. And I want to wish the best of luck to my Minnesota Golden Gophers. And hopefully I will get to see them in Indianapolis playing against Ohio State. And I'll have to root against them, which would hurt. But I would I would love to see the Gophers in Indy. So best of luck to you, Minnesota. Best of luck to Ohio State. Um, and hopefully you guys listening have a great time watching rivalry matchups, um, especially if you're an Ohio State fan. Hopefully we'll get the win, and um, thank you so much for listening.